easy one. Where are you from? I grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts. It's a small town in Massachusetts. Um, my dad is from Ghana, Kamasi, and Accra. Um, and my mom is from the States, just by way of like North Carolina, which is where my grandmother grew up. They all migrated north, so we all grew up in, in Massachusetts. Have you ever been to Ghana to visit your dad's hometown? Mm-hmm. I was in Ghana the last time. It was February before year return. So I think year return was last December, not this December, the past December. And so I was there um, February. It was like February or March, I think. You said year of return. Is that a special thing? Yeah, the year of return. Um, don't ask me 100% the quota, but I think it was like 400 years since slavery. And so a lot of... Um, they say a lot of black people come from come from Ghana. That's where um, a lot of the um, it's what, what are, it's like a whole bunch of castles. I can't even think of what it's called, but um, it was like a major port, and that's where a lot of the slaves um, all went. So you know, the ports went to Brazil, they went to the states, they went to the Caribbean, they went to um, other parts of Africa, and so um, the year of return is when everybody was coming back to to Africa. It's a big a big push to get um people to get like dual citizenship, especially black Americans to come back to their motherland. I heard reports and stories about a lot of West African countries making an effort to have black Americans come over there. And like you said, if not get um, dual citizenship to move over there. What is your personal opinion on that as somebody who has been there and as somebody who has uh, like familial, like a direct familial connection, you know, somebody like me, I would have to take a DNA test to figure out what part of Africa my family's from. But yeah. Give me your opinion on that initiative by those Western West African countries. I think it's awesome. I've, I've only lived in the States, but after this year, I would say there's a big push for me to live overseas. That's one of the things I'm, I'm working on this year and, and next year. And not, I, I definitely want to do some business in Ghana. I'm in other parts of Africa, but I'm, I'm also interested. Just really, I, I really have a um, affinity towards um like indigenous cultures, Central America, South America, Africa. I'm really just kind of drawn to those places. So I think I think it's great. I de- definitely speak to different people and get different people's opinion. But there, I think that one time there was a big push for everybody to come to the West. You know, like everybody was sending their kids to the States or sending their kids to Europe to get education, to get a better life, to get this and that. And then now I think you see that generation that has been sent out to the West and um, it's not as ideal as maybe people's parents and grandparents thought it was. I think you can definitely get the education and that type of stuff, but you don't want to brain drain. You know, you don't, you don't want to take everybody out and, and there's nothing left for where you're from. So I think the initiative for people to come back, I think it's awesome. What was it like growing up in Springfield, Massachusetts? And can you just talk to me about uh, the cultural aspect of it? Because Mid-Atlantic is much different <laughs> from New England. I spent a, a year and a half up in Connecticut. And something that I also noticed when I was in Connecticut is that there was a fairly large uh, Caribbean population there. But talk to me about your experience growing up in Springfield. Well, what part of Connecticut were you in? West Hartford. Okay, so so you know Springfield then? Yeah. Uh, I, well, when I was in, when I was up there, I never really went any other uh, place because I was a very broke college student. I only drove through. Um, I, I guess I drove through Boston, but I was on my way to Albany to visit my sister. So I, I don't know. I yeah. couldn't tell you like what exact roads that I took, but I've only ever been through Boston. And it, it's actually funny because my younger sister, she just finished at Boston University, and. Um, I, I still never visited because really, frankly, only within like the last two to three years have I actually started making enough money to do more than survive. Uh, but yeah. it's definitely on my list of places to go. Uh, but yeah. Springfield growing up, what was it like? I was in Springfield from zero to, obviously I was born there and I stayed there until I was 17. I went to college in North Carolina, came back then I went to college in DC and that's how I got to this area. But growing up there, two different kind of aspects of it. I come from like a traditional, I would say the traditional, I grew up in a traditional kind of Southern black family. So my grandmother had 
13 kids, um, nine girls and four boys. And so I probably, my mom, I'm my mom's only child. On my dad's side, he has more, but I'm my mom's only child. But I think out of all her sisters and brothers, there might be like one or two. There's one or two of my aunts that don't have kids, but everybody else has like two, three. I think the most someone has is four. So it just was family over all the time. Yeah. Um, a lot of cousins. I probably have like 30 first cousins or something <laughs> like that. We all kind of grew up together. Thanksgiving, Christmases, um, like 30, 40 people, you know, people's boyfriends, girlfriends, wives, all that type of stuff. Then, yeah. you know, cousins start to have babies. So it's, it's all types of, you know, so I grew up like that very, um, you know, just hanging out with my family and my mom, I was thinking about this the other day, like her best friends are really her sisters, you know, like they're just, mm -hmm. that that's, they grew up really tight and, and that's kind of their family structure. So I grew up just like that, but Springfield in itself, it's, um, I lived in like a black and I would say Spanish, but it wasn't really Spanish. It's Puerto Rican. Puerto Ricans were the Latinos that were really in Springfield. So I, I grew up in a black blue, was it blue collar, like working class, black and, um, Mm -hmm. Puerto Rican neighborhood and um I mean it was cool I was it's it's there's there's it's a small city it's a town it's not like growing up in Baltimore it's not like growing up in DC it's not like growing up in Miami it's a it's a town it's a little bit slower paced but in terms of like the art and cultural and just what was the scene my mother was always very um conscious of, of, of different things. And she was always, she did her best really to, to keep me involved in everything growing up. And I think she got that from my grandmother, but it was always just, um, you know, with kids, it's always like, like keep them active. And now it's different with kids. I don't have kids, you know, but we could barely be in the house. Like it, unless it was really cold, always have to go outside and play, go outside and play, go outside and play, go outside and play, go outside and play. So <laughs> I grew up playing outside a lot, playing hide and seek, you know, ride into the store to get candy and, you know, ride into the store to get my grandmother's stuff. I grew up in dance and, and I was in gymnastics. I was in youth NAACP. Um, I was in Girl Scouts. Um, I went on the Black College tour. You know, I was a, a counselor for some type of summer camp. So I was involved, you know, whatever type of community stuff that my mother could get me involved in it. it and it wasn't like there was like two cultural centers or five community centers. It was like the boys and girls club where my uncle worked. That was the community center that everybody went mm -hmm. to. There was only five high schools, you know, four or five high schools, I think in my, in my city. So it was, it was cool growing up. I mean, I had a, I had a pretty good childhood. Um, my mother kept me really involved, a lot of family around, um, and not too much travel. We would travel to North Carolina for our family reunions. That was like a 13, 14, 15, 16 hour drive. 20 of us in vans and fried chicken and um, <laughs> everybody asking every two seconds, are we there yet? But yeah, we drove and I used to, I went to school in North Carolina. I drove from North Carolina to Massachusetts myself a couple of times as well. So mm, yeah, okay. we, we drove. <laughs> wow. That was it. What did your parents do? Did they work in Springfield or did they uh, work in other other cities? And how close is Springfield to Boston? Yeah, so Springfield to Boston is maybe an hour and a half, two hours. Um, I grew up with my mom. My dad wasn't around when I grew up. Um, so my, my mom and a lot of my family members who kind of wanted a different opportunity, they worked in Hartford or Infield. That's why I said, you know, do you know Springfield? Because when people are looking for opportunities mm -hmm. and not that you can't get opportunities in Springfield, I'm not saying that, but my mom and a lot of my aunts who, um, you know, wanted something more, they, they tended to work in, um, like Enfield, Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut. Hartford was really the, the furthest out sometime blooming. What is not Bloomingdale, but, um, Bloomfield uh, or something like that. Yeah, Bloomfield. Mm -hmm. Bloomfield. Yeah. But it was like, a lot of people, Connecticut, um, Enfield and Hartford. Oh, okay. Going through school, did you have a favorite subject um, in high school? Did you have any type of subject or extracurricular activity that would kind of inform you or looking back informed you of what you would be doing with your, um, with your company? Mm, I don't think there was a specific subject that led me to this, but what I will say is I, 
I was, I've always been into athletics. So I, I, I love basketball when I, <laughs> I guess I'm not that old. I'm 34, but the WNBA, the WNBA wasn't around mm-hmm. when I was growing up. We had this league called the ABA or something like that. I think Rebecca Lobo and some other people used to play. And so we used to go to their games. And so as a little girl playing basketball, I wanted to like be in the WNBA and I wanted to, um, also, I went to college on a tennis scholarship. I had hurt my knee and I had to pick between two sports. And so they, somebody told me it would be easier for me to get a scholarship in tennis. Um, and I should focus on one. And so I would say playing sports um, definitely shaped the way I think. It, it teaches you to be competitive, which, which, which is a good thing. But I think the biggest thing that sports teaches you is, is discipline. And then I also notice, um, and it's it can be it can be good or bad, but um, I'm never really satisfied with stuff that I do, and I think that comes from um, playing sports and, and having and having coaches. I mean, you can play sports and have coaches that say you're great, but I've had coaches that really critique me, even if I had a good game or won something. It was just constant critique, constant, constant, um, not pressure, but just analysis on how to get better, how to improve what you did wrong. And I think that's kind of how I, how, how I look at things now. It's like, okay, I did this or, or, or we worked on this, but how do we get better? How did this improve? So I think, I think that, and then I also would attribute um, something to, I always went to, I went to private school, Catholic school from zero to age, age, 12th grade. And I, I had, I can't remember all my teachers' names, but Mrs. Um, I can't think, Mrs. Lefebvre or something like that. But um, small classrooms, really, really good English teachers, but not so much in terms of um, the language, of course, but a lot of critical thinking, how to, how to really think, a lot of um, analysis work, a lot of um, exploratory work and so I, I really attribute you know my love of learning to my mom my love of creativity to my mom but also um critical thinking learning how to think and learning how to form opinions on your own and how to come up with different things on your own so I would say the two things that I was involved in especially like in, good English teachers um you know uh, when I was younger then also playing sports kind of giving me a a um you know way to kind of constantly critique myself when you had the opportunity for those sports scholarships, was it for, it was for tennis? And then what was the other sport? Was it, it was basketball? I played basketball, but I didn't get a scholarship for basketball. I got a scholarship for, um, for tennis to go to, to go to college. Oh, okay. And what college did you go to? Was it one that you um, heard about through the black college tour? Actually? Yeah. So on a black college tour, where do we go? Um, we went to a couple of schools in Florida, Bethune Cookman. Um, we went to a whole bunch of schools in North Carolina, um, A&T, and um, then we went to the Atlanta schools, of course, the Morehouse, the Spellman, the Clark. Um, and oh, in North Carolina, we also went to, to Johnson C. Smith. And I ended up going to Johnson C. Smith, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina for a year. Um, something happened. I ended up going back home to Massachusetts. My coach took away my scholarship. So I stayed in Massachusetts for another year. I went to community college. And then after that year, I just was like, I needed to um, do something else. So I, I started applying to schools. I applied to um, Hamden, no, Morgan, Morgan, Howard, and University of DC, UDC. And um, I think Howard was going to let me be like a walk-on or something like that. They're both, Howard and Morgan are both Division One. They're in the CIAA. Morgan, I think I could have played. Um, my cousin went there, so she kind of set me up with something. But UDC, University of DC, they said they'll pay for everything. So I was like, I'm going here, Mom. Cool. <laughs> and, she, and she was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are going there. Um, <laughs> what, was, what were the big differences between uh, Johnson C. Smith and then UDC? Or were those differences just really related to you, like your age difference? Like you went to one school when you were, you know, 18 and then you went to another school when you were, I guess, what, 19 or 20? Yeah, so I went to one school when I was 17. So I think I started 17, turning 18. That was Johnson C. Smith. And um, 
I just had, you know, it was, it was fine, but maybe it was maturity. And then I had some personal things that I just, you know, I needed, I wanted to be home to kind of take care of. And I didn't know how to really handle on um, just being, being on my own. And so, but when I went back home, um, it's, you know, it's a small place, nothing really to do. I didn't really see myself being there. And so I started, you know, I don't know why I was so determined. Even when I look back now, I just always had something. I was like, I, I want to go away to school. And so when I had went to UDC, I had already done my third college, you know? So I'm like, look, man, it's my third college. Everybody's looking at me crazy. You know, I done lost all these credits messing around, going here to there. And I just, you know, I just wanted to finish. So I think my first semester, I took like 21 credits and next semester, like 24 credits. And I, I was working, I was playing tennis. So I just, you know, I wanted to start making some money and I, and I wanted to finish. And, you know, everyone's looking at you crazy. Keep switching schools and going here and there. It's yeah, like, I'm sure your mom's what's like, going on? <laughs> my aunts, my uncles, my grandmother, everyone is like, <laughs> you know, what's up with you? So right. I think it was maturity. What did you uh, major in? Originally started off in business administration. Then I had talked to this guy and he was like, it was like a counselor or something. He was like, why don't you do a concentration, you know, because you're going to learn the same basic business stuff in everything. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I uh, focused on marketing. Mm, okay. Uh, so what, what year did you end up finishing at UDC? I ended up finishing. I was supposed to graduate in 2008, um, but I, I took five years between all the schools. And so I graduated in 2009. What were you doing? Where were you working while you were attending college? Um, ask the same question, you know, similar to the courses in school. Were you working in something that was kind of putting you on the path to, uh, to real estate? I waited tables. I worked at different restaurants. Um, Ruby Tuesdays, I worked there on Connecticut Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a couple internships. Um, I was also into like a I was in athletics, obviously. So I think I had an internship one time with a guy who had a gym. Um, so like personal training, that type of stuff. And then I also interned at, um, at BET for a summer. And I was like a marketing intern at BET. Mm, what was that experience like? It was my first time really um, trying to get an understanding of how things really worked. And also just seeing how things work behind, behind the scenes. I think that was a really a really great experience because people are like, oh, BET. And even for me, I was like, oh, wow, it'd be all these stars and this and that. And it was, it's an office, you know, it's a, it's a, so, I mean, there were some stars and we did, and, and you know, we did get to go to shows and BETJ and there was different live shows and um, Kurt Frank, not Kurt Frank, but somebody had like a gospel, you know, show that was live on BET. So we got to go to a couple of tapings. So it was cool, but um you know, we, we I worked in the office, so it was like behind the scenes stuff, setting up the stuff. Stars aren't really that exciting, you know, all the time, you know, <laughs> so it's like they weren't really talking to us, even if we were backstage or something like that. I mean, they were getting ready for the show. So it was a good experience. I still actually keep in contact with um with one of the women that was kind of like a um my boss or like a mentor to me. I kind of looked up to her when when I was working there. So I still keep in contact with her. And um, it was it was a good experience, you know. I, I learned I learned how things how things work and what things look like, you know, behind the screen. Once you finished college, how many years or months was it until you got the idea for Ofori and Co? What what idea sparked the creation of that company, and what was happening in your life at the time that that uh, kind of inspired you to make that leap? So. From 2009 to 2021, I mean, I moved to Baltimore two years ago, two years ago, maybe two years in like two months now, because I moved to in November, I think, not last November, but the November before. So, I mean, a lot of stuff transpired from, from, from then to now. Um, you know, just, just really experienced. I mean, I started off, after college, I worked um, various different sales jobs. I did uh, membership sales in a gym. I used to sell telecom um, for this company called Cogent Communications. I was a personal trainer. I was still waiting tables for a while. I worked in property management. 
Um, I sold, you know, I, I sold and I still sell um, houses. Um, and I, but I've been working since I've been 14. So I've done tons of jobs, but I would say after college, um, I also, somebody gave me an opportunity. I worked as like an assistant in the small business development office. Somebody had gave me an opportunity when I had got out of college, I needed a job. And they said, um, you know, you can work here for, for a little while, but they wanted me to find a job in my field, but they helped me out and just got me started, um, working there. But I would say it's just, a, it's a culmination of different things. Um, wanting to create, wanting to um, make an impact on a community. And I think it's a natural progression. You know, I'm, I, I love real estate sales, but I also like the, um, the investment and development side and, you know, the business side. So I think um, it just was a natural progression from kind of where I started to where I'm now. What was it like the first days and months of starting the company and running the company? Cause I see everything on the website now, you know, the website, Instagram, all of your projects look very magnificent. Um, uh -huh. so what was it like first starting? And was there ever a project that you kind of had to bet the whole house on and if it failed, Euphoria Co was gonna fail as well? Yeah. Um... So starting a company, so I actually incorporated my LLC and officially in 2016, I believe is when I officially started, like I officially incorporated my LLC, but I have, I've been, I bought my first house when I was 25 um, for like a for hundred thousand dollars in, in DC and in, in Deanwood, a neighborhood called Deanwood. Um, and so I've, I've been, so from then to now, you know, I've sold, probably over 200 homes or something like that. And I've, you know, personally bought and sold myself maybe over 13, 14 houses. So, I mean, what you see now is, it's not like it was a hard start. It's kind of, it's a combination of, of things that I've done, real estate deals that I've done. And just kind of, once I had enough things under my belt, I was like, okay, let me turn this into something formal. But I had already been doing it before I, I put a name to it. Now I just started marketing, branding it and packaging it a certain way. But I, I've been doing it way before it was called affording. I've been, I've been doing community events and community happy hours and, going to community meetings, that type of stuff way before Euphoria and code. Now it's just, you know, marketing and branding and put it together. Mm, okay. And was there a project that was um, at a time in the company where if, if you didn't pull it off, it was going to spell trouble for you? Um, I miss every project, you know, I would, I was, I would say, I mean, it's, I, I think that, you know, those are the risks and, and rewards of business. A lot of people want to be an entrepreneur, have their own business, and that's cool. But sometimes I might not get a paycheck for two to three months, but I'm constantly spending money. So it's like, there's a lot of, I'm still young, you know, and even, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I think when people probably have like 20 years in the game or 30 years or something like that, maybe they have a better base or maybe someone who just started off with more experience than I did when I started. But I think now after like 10 years, okay, I'm finally starting to see really how things work. And I can look, I have, I have enough to look back at and say, oh, okay, I did this and I did that. And that was, and I should have done it better this way. Or we did this and we did that. And we could have done it better that way. But I would say, well, I mean, yeah, there was tons of deals I've done that um, cost me a lot of money that I made some mistakes on um, my project in Baltimore, the one on Reed street, that one, so, you know, um, that, that one was a really tough project, project, a really expensive project, a really, um, project that, you know, I had to make a lot of concessions in my, in my, in my life for, and just rebudget. So I, you know, that, that was a tough project, but, um, I mean, I had another project in, in DC on, uh, in Congress Heights, I can't, in, on MLK, that was another tough project. I think I went through four or five contractors. The one in Baltimore, I acted as a general contract and I probably had like 18 different subs. I mean, it was, it was a, you know, I had sprinkler people, there was the alarm people, there was the guy who did the heart, the, some of the finishing work, the cabinetry. I had different people do the tile. I had different people do the electrical, the plumbing, the HVAC. So there's been a lot of projects um, that have been, you know, tough, but 
it's the nature of the business. I think, you know, you gotta take the good with the bad. How do you keep all of that in your head? <laughs> do, do you do all of this by yourself? Is it just you running the entire show? Yeah. yeah. Um, no. So I, it's, it's, it's not, it's not me running the entire show. And I would say that's um, one thing I, one thing that I'm very cognizant of now is the team, like, you know, trying to build up a team and that, and I went through a couple of different people. I have people helping me. Some people fall off. Some people oh, excuse me. salute. Yeah. Um, go by the, go by the wayside, but I have a, you know, a team of people, especially that helps me on the business side, like with like graphics website, um, you know, my content that comes out, um, you know, I have a team of people that, that help me, you know, produce stuff, help me uh, get stuff out there in terms of on the, you know, real estate and building side. Um, you know, I'm the person behind like picking the projects, um, and running my own numbers, but in terms of doing the work, you know, that's different contractors. And I, I have a pretty good contractor that I have a good relationship with, with now. Um, and so me and him work well together. And so, you know, I don't do any of the work with my own hands. I, I have, and I could, I could paint and that type of stuff, but I'm not like, I'm, I'm not in the house putting up cabinets. You know, I, <laughs> I could, I probably could if I, if I try, but, um, you know, yeah. so I have, I have the guys that are helping me. Um, I was just thinking about her today. Um, she got so many different names, Alexandria friend, um, but her, her business is called Nicole decor. Um, you know, um, I was thinking about her today. She's from Baltimore and I was like, man, she's, she's such a, been such a godsend to me, you know, Erica, uh, from Keepers Vintage referred me to her. And so Alex has been, um, staging my properties, staging my clients' properties. Um, and so it's like, you know, you know, she's one of the people I would say that's on my team, you know, also like contractors to come in and help fix stuff for my clients out there on my team, the cleaning people, um, the cleaning women that I use there on my team. So I have people that I, that I can call and, and, and that help me out with that with stuff. So it's, it's, it's not all a, a, a one woman. So I can't take all the credit. <laughs> <laughs> with the nature of work that you do and the fact that a lot of stuff a lot of great business ventures are built on relationships and the relationships themselves are built off of the work that you do. Do you think it's kind of difficult for a newcomer to break in because they don't have a catalog or like a resume to show a more experienced um, contractor or, or somebody in your position? Um, what, what, what do you say to that? I think it's quite difficult. I think I, uh, yeah, if you don't have a catalog and you don't have the resources and you don't have, you know, the relationships, it's, it's going to be difficult. But I, I think now what I see is like, for me, what I really love about people and what I, and what I really enjoy is learning about someone's process. Seeing the result is, is fine. The, the result is a snapshot, but unless you see kind of what built up to that result, then, then you don't really have a picture of you don't really understand what's going on. So it's difficult. If you don't have anything, you're starting from scratch. I started from scratch. I started from scratch and it took me 10 years to get to, to where I am. And I'm and to be honest, I there's people that had more resources and have, you know, more relationships that could be beneficial in real estate that probably could have got from where I started to where I am and maybe three years, four years. So yes, of course, that, that's, that's the benefit of exposure. That's the benefit of relationships. That's the benefit of having connections and, and, and a network. That's why, that's why people say your network is your, is your net worth. That's, it's true. Even in business. I mean, I didn't know how to do a 1099 or fill that out or, or you know, but some people have, have people that show them how to do stuff when they first get in. And so you can just cut out the learning curve. Yeah, I think it's difficult, but it's supposed to, it's supposed to be difficult. You know, nothing, nothing worth having is, is easy. So if somebody wants to get into business and they think they're going to make a million dollars because they've seen somebody with a check on Instagram, well then, you know, try it out. You're going to be disappointed. So. Yeah. You know? um, well, I think <laughs> listening to you though, um, it just sounds to me like this is, this was the perfect thing for you because you're like, I don't care about the finished product. I want to <laughs> see what your process is. 
but that that kind of makes me want to ask another question do you know of somebody and you don't have to use their name but do you know of somebody who you think that they do great work but your process and their process just do not work well together Mm, i know somebody that does does great work well yeah i mean there's a lot of people that do that do great work um but but I, i think the work is but the work is in the is in the is in the process. I mean, there's people probably that I don't vibe with, or maybe that don't vibe with me. But the 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 work is 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 really in the process. And if you have a process that's thorough, if you have a process that's consistent, um, if you have a process that um, is backed by values and um, your value system and your and your moral compass, the end result is going to be is is going to be good. That's faith. I want to go back to the services that you offer. Uh, I do want you to just give a general rundown of the services that you provide. Uh, but I also want you to talk about your um, event organization or uh, collaboration service if somebody wants to host a party or an event at one of your spaces. Yeah. Um, so services I offer is very simple. I'm sales, sales and investment. Um, I, I help people buy and sell. Um, and I also, um, renovate, resell, renovate and rent properties. Um, so the services are pretty simple. I also, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm into business in general. Real estate is a tool, is, is a tool that I know and that I learned, um, to help me in business and entrepreneurship, but I really, I mean, I have a lot of different interests. I want to get into wine. Um, I was just thinking about that the other day. I want to get it, like, get into something like a wine business or something like that, but, um, buying and selling, you know, and investing, you know, so I, I've had friends that also invested in some of my deals. I'm, I'm eager to, you know, get to a point where, you know, I can start investing in, in other people's deals and collaborate in that way. So, um, investing in business, investing in different deals, um, helping people buy and sell, doing my own projects is, those are the services that I offer. And then, um, events, community organized, I mean, that's kind of at the, the, the base of, 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 of where I started. And yeah, I mean, that's just organize it really. I mean, that's, that's, you know, part of my purpose and, and one of the things that I'm passionate about. So right now it's tough, you know, with somebody printing out space yeah. for, you know, I had a building and how I had it planned out. Um, you know, it, it kind of switched a little bit with COVID uh, coronavirus, but, um, but yeah, hopefully we'll we'll get back there, um, you know, to rent out space and do that type of stuff. But um, you know, right online, there's a p- couple of events I'll be organizing online or digitally or or that type of stuff. But um, right now, buy, buying buying and selling, um, and helping people buy and sell are my services. And what has that been like for you? And this is going to lead into my next question. So. My wife and I, yesterday, we just attended a home buying uh, workshop through one of the housing aid centers in the city. And I also Mm -hmm. interviewed somebody um, about three or four weeks ago. He is a, he's like a real estate consultant for the state or the city or something like that. And both times people, they've said to us, like the real estate market is just insane right now. There's a very low inventory and everybody is buying how has it been for you? Have, have things been up? Have they been down? Have they just kind of been going about the same pace? Uh, how, how has it been throughout this entire pandemic? Um, the pandemic, when it first started, uh, we've been in pandemic for a while. So when it first started, of course, the banks had stopped lending. Nobody really knew what was going on. So banks are kind of changed up their lending um, you had to put more money down. This is for like more private type of loans and that type of stuff. Um, buyers were apprehensive. Sellers were, you know, everybody, it was kind of in a, a standstill, but that was maybe like a month or two. But then after that, if you know how things work, the government stepped in, the interest rates went really low. Um, I think the federal government still employs like a good population of, of the states. And so, you know, the market is crazy, what, what you're saying right now. It's not crazy everywhere, though, but in Baltimore um, and in D.C., it's a seller's market. If I put a house on the market, I've had, you know, I had a, a client put her house on the market. She had like 17 offers. 
you know, I have uh, somebody's holding an open house for me today at one of my uh, clients listings. Um, we have a couple offers on that already, and that's been on the market for a couple of days. I have something else that's going to come on the market. I think we'll have multiple offers. I have something. You know, so, I, so sellers, yeah, sellers are, are definitely um, happy. It's a, seller, it's a seller's market, and buyers are um, not so happy. Not so happy, but it's you could find something if you know what you're looking for. And I saw buyers that I look in and you can take advantage of the, the interest rates and even you're gonna pay a little bit more. The prices are inflated, but I mean if you look at it over 30 years, you say, okay, if the interest rates are this amount versus this amount, it's this amount of a savings. So if I pay an extra ten thousand than what I would have paid three months ago, it evens out with the interest rate. So you can just look at your numbers a couple of different ways, but it's, it's a seller's market. That's true. Mm. Is there a type of secret database or, or mailing list that <laughs> allows people to get the inside track on houses, or is it really just coming down to luck and, and, and just watching Redfin and Zillow like a hawk? It's all public records. Anytime somebody buys something and the deed is recorded, that's why when you buy a house, um, well, they're not recording deeds now, but when you buy a house, you'll start to get a whole bunch of stuff in the mail, credit card and curries. I mean, even actually once you get your credit pull, quit your credit pulled for something, a car, whatever, you'll start to get a whole bunch of credit card things in the um in the mail. So there's not really a a secret database, I would say things are public records. There's also trackers that people use that show that show people kind of what your balance is on your mortgage, um, or or what your um, or if you even have a mortgage. So sometimes, like in um, especially in lower income communities, black communities, um, and communities where development is coming and neighborhoods are going to be quote unquote the term everybody uses gentrified is you'll start to see people get yellow letters in the mail. Hey, I'll buy your house for, for this amount, or hey, I'll buy your house for that amount. That's because they put together a list. And when they built their list, you can ask for, you can ask the people to, to send, send this out, send this out to people in this zip code that have 80, 80% of equity or have this amount of equity. You know, And so there's people that know how much you owe on your mortgage, they know how much your house is worth. And so you can you can target people um, that way. So there are, there are databases, public records though, that, that, that have all your information in terms of your mortgage, when you bought your house, how long you lived in your house, how, how much you own your house, and, and just your demographic, your race, your age, your, your sex, that type of stuff. So, so the public records, does that only present information that's available for houses that people are living in or just... Like, like, let's say I wanted to buy a vacant house. I'm mm -hmm. assuming that there would be public records about the vacant house, right? There'd be public records about the vacant house, but there's a whole bunch of different structures of housing. So, so another another way people target people is an investor may send out a list and they say, hey, I want to I wanna target absentee owners. The absentee owner is someone who has a property um, that they are not living there. They can have a rental property. They can have a renter in there, or maybe it's just vacant. It's just, it's just vacant. So there is a list that you can target absentee owners. And there also is like in Baltimore city, you have a lot of, um, a lot of stuff that's owned by the city, you know? And so you can go into the city's database and see what they own. Um, here, it's a lot of stuff. You have stuff in receivership. You have, I mean, you have, you have stuff that people died. You have a whole bunch of different types of situations here and you can go to like a title company or a lawyer to kind of get more in depth, but yeah, there's information to find out, you know, mm -hmm. there's something to find out information about every house. Gotcha. Do you do any type of real estate deals or investments or renovating? Do you provide any of your services uh, for commercial properties or is it strictly residential stuff? 90, 90%, 90% residential. Um, and then the building, the, I have a three unit building in, in Baltimore, Mount Vernon. That's uh that's mixed use. So it's commercial on the bottom and then it's residential up top. It's residential, residential top. Okay. If somebody wanted to get into real estate, do you think it would be easier to start with like a small commercial space, like an office space or um uh a, like a residential space so get into real estate how much money do they have and what are they trying to do 
let's say they have $150,000 and they just want to, they want to get into real estate because they want it to be another income stream. And they're not looking at any of these spaces to actually do work out of. They just want to invest the money in it and then turn around and either rent it out or if the deal's good enough, sell it. What type of return are they looking for in their investment? Uh, I have no idea, but I'm assuming that these would be like questions that those people would want to ask themselves, right? I mean, so that's the biggest thing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say they want to get into real estate and they want to flip houses and they want to rent something out and they want to do this and do that, but it's what type of return are you looking for? You know, that, that, that's really the question. If somebody says, well, I'm looking for a 10% return on my investment, you might be better investing in a fund, uh, a rent, you know, a, a, um, even the stock, the stock market, the uh, index fund, those give eight to ten percent returns. But it's a RET. Um, a realist. It's a it's a REIT. It's a realist. It's a it's it's a it's a like a real estate stock. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's like a real estate stock. So, I mean, it, it depends on the type of return that you want to get, and it also depends on if you want to be active, if you want to be passive. If you have one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, I mean cash you you have a, you have a couple of different options on, on what you want to get started in um that's a that's a, a decent amount of cash but if you don't have any knowledge then i, I would say if you have one hundred fifty thousand dollars, you've never done a real estate deal you want to get into real estate i would start investing my money in education and educating yourself on exactly what type of returns you want to get um educating yourself on the market um, and educating yourself on the players in the field. That would be the first thing is education. With real estate, and this is something that I've been hearing, especially in the Black community for so many years now, that it is the key to generational wealth and real estate can just unlock so many uh, opportunities. You kind of answered the question about <clears throat> like how or, or figuring out why you would want to get into um, real estate. As somebody who's been doing it for as long as you have, do you feel like real estate is somebody that something that everybody should just try to experience at least once or like, should, should people really even be thinking about home ownership the way that we think about it? Cause I know in other countries, home ownership isn't as big of a deal. What yeah. is your like honest professional opinion about real estate? <laughs> okay. My professional, my professional opinion in my job is a, it's always a great time to buy. It's always a great time to sell. That's my that's my professional opinion. Yeah. I, I mean, so somebody said, "Oh, it's a good time to buy. Good time to sell." Yeah, mm -hmm. I, you know, don't ask me that. I think it's a great time to buy and sell all the time. So that's my professional opinion. What I think about real estate, I think in the, I mean, this might be offensive, but I don't like the way real estate is marketed in the black community. I don't, Ooh, okay. you know. <laughs> I don't no, I'm, like I'm way, interested. Yeah, tell me. I, about I don't. It. I don't like the way that real estate is is marketed in the black community because it's this. Um, it's it's um it's close to get rich quick. It's close to this is going to make you a whole bunch of money and it just is going to change your whole life. Real estate, just like the stock market, just like basic financial information, just like taxes, it is. It's it's the backbone of our society. It's how. It, how, how can you not know about real estate when real estate is all around you? Like when somebody says to me, oh, I'm not into real estate. How can you not be into real estate? Where do you, where do you sleep at night? You know, where do you go get your coffee every day? Where do you bring your car to go get fixed? You know, what do you, you know, every, everything is real estate. So I think it's a, it's a disservice how it's, you know, kind of how it's integrated and how it's taught because it's, it's taught as almost like a, or it's thought of as almost like a, like a specialization, but it's really, to me, it should be taught in schools, just really understanding how, how it works, you know, just understanding how it works, how to evaluate it, you know, what you're looking for, understanding just the basic terms of, of real estate, because everyone needs a, everyone has to live somewhere, you know, you don't have to, but it's like, it's just like food, you know, food, shelter, that type of stuff. So I, the way that real estate is marketed in the black community, it's always like, um, it's always get rich quick. And even the wholesaling thing, I know this is going to be offensive to people with the wholesaling thing, but wholesaling is basically like you go into a community and you see a house that's 
I don't know, you can, you can buy it for $10,000, mm-hmm. but who you but the people that are targeted most for wholesaling are black people, are black people in neighborhoods that are turning over. And so the wholesaler goes to that person, somebody's grandmother, somebody's aunt, somebody's uncle, and they say, who doesn't have a knowledge of real estate. Mm-hmm. And they say, hey, I'll give you $60,000 cash next week for this house. You don't have to do anything to it. But in their mind, they know they have an investor that's probably, they can be white, they can be black from the Middle East, somebody that's typically not from the community. And they know that they can sell it to that person for $80,000. So it's like, now you've, you've, you've made $20,000, but you stripped from someone from your community and then that investor fixes the house up and then they sell that house for $200,000. And so you see that cycle on and on and then it's it's gentrification. Mm -hmm. But it's like the method that we're taught, it's like, it's a scarcity mindset. We always have to strip something from somebody to, to, to get something else. It's always about wholesaling this and you can make a buck and quick money. It's not like that in real estate. Real estate is a long-term investment. It's a long-term play. You know, people who have wealth off of real estate, they've been in real estate for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You know, that's why black people always talk about, what is it, 30 acres and a mule because the, the, the money is in the land. But yeah, the money, the yeah, forty acres and a mule. But but you have to you have to work the land. You know you can't. I, there's so many people that are giving away houses, giving away land, giving away that because they can't maintain it. And so real estate, yes, it, it is it is important. But we also have to t- we also have to talk about educating people on what they already have and then maintaining what's in our and what's in our community. We already have all the assets and the resources, but. Mm-hmm. But but they're dilapidated in some places, or they're run down because we haven't we haven't been taught how to maintain them. And then also, it's real estate is nothing but a but a you know the house is only worth what somebody will pay for it. So now all of a sudden somebody says, oh, this house is worth two hundred thousand, and so and so moves in, and so and so now that they're there, now the house next door is worth two hundred and ten thousand. But mm-hmm. the house, the house could have been worth two hundred thousand when you were living there. If 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 if, if, if somebody just, just said right, it was, <laughs> yeah, if somebody just said it wasn't. You put the right <laughs> stuff in. If you put the right stuff in place and you 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 advocated to clean up the street, and I mean it's not as simple as that. But you mm-hmm. know, in the black community, it's always get rich. It's always get rich quick. Wholesale this, even flipping this house. I, I flip and rehab houses, but that's not my end goal because even that is is nothing but a um. That's not wealth building. Flipping houses is not. That's not wealth building. That's that's a way to create capital. But mm-hmm. once you flip a house and you have fifty thousand dollars, it's in your bank account. What do you do with the money? Mm-hmm. If you, you because money spends unless you put it into something else. So now you're flipping houses, you're wholesaling, you're showing people you got checks for twenty, thirty thousand dollars. That's not wealth. That's capital. Capital can can help you create wealth, but but how? You know. So it's like you 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 have to put it in vehicles that produce income you know, that, that, that produced something. So rental properties, holding on to rental properties, holding on to multi-unit commercial space, that, that, that type of stuff, land. What is your opinion or idea, or how do you feel about the concept of the black gentrifier? Because there's so many people in like so Mm -hmm. many like spheres of influence who say, well, you know, black people can't gentrify because we don't have any type of power. That's why we can't be racist, blah, 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 whatever. But at the end of the day, like you said, if, if a black person goes to West Baltimore and offers a older lady 30 K for her house, <laughs> and then, you know, turns around and flips it or whatever. And then it doesn't matter if they're black or white, whoever, somebody else moves into the neighborhood and literally, like just like you said, raises the, the the property value of all the other houses, and then forces the other uh, owners out because they can't afford it. Is that not gentrification? So, what is your opinion of that? Or do you feel like in the black real estate bubble? Because um, I feel like there's you know each industry has its own community, and especially yeah. within the DMV, like is that something that's talked about a lot? think people talk I don't I, I think people talk about it but I don't know if people 
talk about it that much because it's a lot of us have a scarcity mindset and a lot of us are trying to survive right so how can I say to someone who doesn't have any money to be honest and they want to start in real estate and they say okay they want to wholesale okay I mean that person is, is trying to make some money even me flipping properties I want to do some other stuff but it's like you know this is a way for me to create create capital so I think I think you have to start from a certain place, but just be conscious of of of, of what you're doing. Um, and I, I I I think the main thing is the the a powerful thing about real estate is that when you control when you control the asset, you you can set your own rules. For example. When they you you make money when you buy something. You don't make money when you sell. The, you get the money when you sell, but you make money when you purchase the asset. You 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 are you think about when you make when you when you buy something. You think about the end result. You know from the start. Mm-hmm. And so, so I so my building at Mount Vernon, a three unit building. I I bought that building and I w- I want to have a black business on the on the first floor. So I owned the building. I ran the numbers. I knew what the numbers would be. And so since I knew the numbers, I, I, I knew how much the mortgage would be. I knew how much I could bring it from certain spaces. I was able to bring in a back black business and I was able to offer them a reduced rate for rent. You know, so I, I think the power of real estate is when you can, when you control it, you, you have to make money in business or, you, or it's not going to be sustainable. You can't give everything away for free. You can't do everything for free. You're not going right. to, you're not going to live. But I think when you control something, you can, you can set the price, you know, you can, you can set how much you charge for rent. You can, you can set how much you sell it for, but it's, it's it's not a it's it's a problem that everyone is is trying to work through because we also live in a society where it's like even here even here in Baltimore I mean you can give away they they're giving away houses sometimes for a dollar five hundred five hundred dollars a thousand dollars the houses are like two thousand square feet they cost like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to renovate and so if something costs two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to renovate how can you sell it for one fifty yeah. because to me one fifty is is you know, 150, 190, that's, that's an affordable house. So I think it's a two-pronged strategy. I think learning how to control the asset and then being able to set the price, but it's also, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's also helping people in the community build wealth within, the, within themselves because you can't, you have to know how to make money and generate money, you know, in order to live in this society Maybe a different society it wouldn't be like that, but this society. And so I think there's a lot of um, we 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 really need, you know, wealth building, but also just before we even get to wealth building, I think financial literacy, basic financial literacy, basic financial principles, basic financial discipline. Mm-hmm. I think with with that type of stuff, we could kind of um, that that would help because. How can you stop? Gentrification is already, I mean, it's it's happen it's it's happening everywhere. I, I see it happening. Um when I when I first got to Baltimore, every every community meeting or something I went to, there's always somebody from LA, from California, from New York, from Philadelphia, from DC. Everybody is in the real estate, everybody wants to get into real estate here in Baltimore all of a sudden. Why? Because in DC it's crazy, in LA it's crazy. You know, and Philadelphia is starting to get crazy. So it's like, you know, it by the it, it like like DC used to work off a I think it's like a sixty year cycle, forty year cycle. So what we're seeing now, they had already planned for that in DC. So it's the mm. you got to edu- you got to educate people and really educate people on how stuff works on a on a on a macro level. Because looking at something at a very micro level, it only gives you a, a very small piece of how things work. So I think um, financial, it's, it goes back to education. Financial education will really be very helpful. And then um, having people from the community actually take ownership of stuff and um, mm-hmm. how to be in, in, in have a focus on um, being equitable, I think is a okay. So do you think that, just to wrap it up, do you, do you think that the idea 
of a black gentrifier only applies if the 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 person doing the renovating or the house flipping if they do it in like a predatory manner or do you just think it's not really a thing at all because gentrification while it's very uh, it's a very politically charged term it's just kind of the nature of the beast I don't know there's so many different you know um, definitions for gentrification can you be a I mean but people have said to me you could be a black gentrifier yeah so of, of course of, of course you could be a, a, a black gentrifier or a, you know mm -hmm. you yeah I mean I don't I don't know if it's the the nature of the beast but like in Washington DC, the, the the prices were going up, but I when I when I when I think about gentrification, that's not really um it's not so much the prices going up. I think that that's the um like the colloquial, like that's the definition of people kind of the prices raising. But when I think of gentrification, like the first thing that comes to my mind is like um like like the Columbia Heights. It was like a Latino and black neighborhood and um all of a sudden you would get white people moving in and like on a Friday night, like the guys that were hanging out on, you know, in front of somebody's porch or playing their music, you know, now somebody's calling the police. Now, now all of a sudden people that have been doing the same thing for 10 years, you move into the neighborhood and you want to mm. change everything. You know, that to me is like, that's what I think of when I think of gentrification, but in terms of prices going up, mm -hmm. I mean, that's inflation. That's, that is, you know, the nature of it, but people, people move into neighborhoods and they want to, they, they don't want to, they don't want to learn about the people in the neighborhoods. They don't want to, you know, incorporate themselves, immerse themselves with the neighborhood culture. They want to come into the neighborhood and tell everybody else how, it, how things should be. And that to me is like, well, you just got here, you know? <laughs> Yeah. How can you tell somebody what? How can you, why are you calling them? They've been doing this for ten years. Now all of a sudden you can't sleep, so it's it's now bothering it's you. That yeah, now it's a problem, and it's like that to me is like gentrification. Well, we're gonna start finishing up here. Uh, these two questions I always ask to my guests at the end of the show. First, how can people get in touch with you? It, actually, wait, no, that's the last one. Uh, first. <laughs> Um, what is coming up next for you? And then second, how can people get in touch with you if they want to make contact? Yeah, I have um, two renovation projects coming up, both in Baltimore City. One is uh, in Lauraville, uh, not too far from Morgan State. And the other one is in um, Hamden, uh, right off, uh, what's well, on 36, 36th Avenue. So I have those two projects coming up. I also um, incorporated a, a nonprofit, a 501c3. So I have a couple projects, um, you know, hopefully that I'll, that will roll out within the next three to four months, uh, with that entity. And, um, you can find me online. You can find me, um, on Instagram at Ofori, which is O-F-O-R-I and co, um, website Ofori and co.com. And, um, I think I'm on Facebook too, Trisha, Trisha Ofori. Mm -hmm. I'm on, I'm on Facebook, Trisha Ofori. Gotcha. Um, can you talk a little bit about the Hamden project or are you not allowed to talk about stuff? I can talk about it. There, um, there it's so two single family houses, both are just, uh, the one in Lauraville and the one in Hamden, they're both single family houses, um, both under contract. One is a short sale, which basically means that the owner was underwater, um, with their mortgage. And so it's a process to kind of close on that. So actually I've been under contract with that for probably, five months now, six months. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll be able to close on that in February. I think we're getting closer. So it's just a single family rehab, um, fully detached house. It'll be three or four bedrooms, three baths um, on 36th Avenue. Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't already gone over? I think we touched everything. Awesome. Well, Trish, Ofori, uh, thank you first and foremost for agreeing to do this again. I know the first time around it didn't work out too well. Um, 
Uh, but ever since converting everything to Zoom, it's been working out great. Uh, I also appreciate you just coming on the show because you gave uh, our listeners a lot of knowledge and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time.